gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! The Jets make their triumphant return to New Jersey after a 23-14 win over the Packers at Lambeau Field. Connor Hughes also back in New Jersey after being overwhelmed by the Whistling Straits golf course. Welcome into the Can't Wait Podcast. I'm Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes, our Jets reporter at The Athletic and our producer, Marissa Morris. Thanks for checking us out as always, whether it's on YouTube Live right now or Spotify and Apple on tape or wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review. We'd love that as well. Lots to get to on this podcast. We'll obviously talk about Carl Lawson, the fallout to the big injury, risers and fallers in that Packers game, something Connor's excited to talk about, and looking ahead to Eagles joint practices. But Connor, we have to start and People think I'm going to say with your golf game, but we're not. We're not going there We're going to save that to the end. Yeah, We have to start with Lambeau Field because you had never been there before. I've never been there before. Uh, was it? Did it live up to the hype? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, as somebody who grew up like a diehard football fan, like I've talked on this podcast before about Sundays in my house. I mean, football was a religion. It was... 11 to 12 o'clock, the ESPN pregame show, 12 to 1, Fox pregame show, the 1 o'clock game, the 4 o'clock game, NFL primetime, then as long as my mom would let me stay up to watch that, you know, the, the Sunday night football game. I mean, that's that's what it was. And and whether whatever team you're a fan of, Lambeau Field is still just so historic and so legendary. You know, the ice bowl there, all of the highlight, just just that stadium and that field, they still have the um the bleachers and and it's right in the middle of a town where literally there's somebody's house and it's separated a hundred yards from the parking lot that is Lambeau Field. You drive to the game and you see people. They have their kids out waving signs that say "Park here, park here," and they'll just go into their parking lot, like their their house. And like one person I saw had parking here and you can use our bathroom. So they were letting random Packer fans in their house to go to the bathroom. Like I just thought it was the coolest. It was almost like a high school atmosphere what it's the green bay packers and and just being stepping foot on lambeau field doing tv hits from outside with lambeau field in the background walking through the same tunnel that bart Starr walked through and brett Favre walked through i mean if you're any type of a football fan there's just nothing better than that i mean the only thing that i can really compare that too was seeing soldier field was really cool and the oakland coliseum just because of how old it was was really cool but Lambeau Field. I mean, I have other stadiums that I like significantly more. Like Arizona's is, is probably my favorite, and Atlanta's is so nice too. But just from the simple fact of what Lambeau is, what Lambeau's meant to the NFL, and just the history that's there, man, there is, there is, there was nothing better. It was so, 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 so cool. Like just, just awesome to be there. Very cool. And um, you know, you, you posted some videos of it on your Instagram. Hey, follow Connor on Instagram if you ha- can't haven't yet. Oh, I don't He's have my to, sign up yet. Trying to grow that account a little bit, uh, but he had some videos of uh, of Lambeau Field up there as well. All right, let's get to uh, this Jets team right now, and we have to start. Uh, it's been a few days now, and obviously they've played a game since. But the big news since we last spoke, we did do a headline podcast for the Athletic. But the big news since we did a Can't Wait podcast is the Carl Lawson injury. Uh, very Jetsy, Connor. Guys starring in the preseason. Uh, big free agent signing, and he goes down for the season before things even get started. Uh, but we need to roll things forward a little bit now, and that is, what does this team do to try to replace that pass rush that Carl Lawson was going to give them? Looking at Saturday's game, is there anything you can take from what the Jets were doing on Saturday that will give us some insight into how they plan on filling that role? A, a rotation, I think that's that's probably it. I mean, you saw Hamilcar Rashid, you saw John Franklin Myers, you saw um, uh, Bryce Huff, you saw um, Bryce Huff and John Franklin Myers start started and Hamilcar Rashid rotated in there. Uh, you're going to see Vinnie Curry when he's healthy rotated in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those where the Jets kind of just constantly try to keep fresh legs, fresh pass rushers out there to, to uh, hopefully – create something that that can get after and attack the quarterback. But what I keep kind of going back here and, and everyone's like, oh, this just means play the young kids, play the young kids, play the young kids. The Jets defensive line was so deep, so they should be good. They should be able to withstand this. If the Jets lost John Franklin Myers, they can withstand that. If the Jets lost Bryce Huff, they can withstand that. If the Jets lost Quinn and Williams, I do genuinely believe they could withstand that. If they lost Sheldon Rankins or Nathan Shepard, 
they can withstand those injuries because the depth is truly there. And it's in those spots where you can plug guys in and, and play and, and they'll make a difference and an impact. The one area and the one position on that defensive line that I would have said the Jets can't lose, the one player that was arguably the most important to this defensive scheme, the one that if you listed from 1 to 11, the player that the Jets needed on the field for all 17 games this year, that player would have been Carl Lawson because this defensive line was so effective. This this defensive line was going to be so dangerous. This defensive line was going to be so potentially lethal because of Carl Lawson. Quinton Williams is a heck of a player, but there's only so much of an impact that three technique can make. John Franklin Myers looks like he's ready to take that next step in that hybrid defensive end defensive tackle role, but he's not a pro bowl all pro guy. Bryce Huff is a great hustle player that's going to disrupt the quarterback, but he's not a pro bowl all pro guy. The one that the one guy that made this entire rotation and the one player that made this entire defensive front work was Carl Lawson. He was the engine of the sports car. He was the transmission of the sports car. And right now, the Jets have a sports car without a transmission or without an engine. And you're now just kind of saying, how's it going to work? And I think you saw the issue of not having Lawson out there when the Jets were trying to rush the third string Packers quarterback. There wasn't a pass rush there. They had two quarterback hits all night. He pretty much was dropping back and having all day to throw. It was... It was troublesome, and, and the reasoning for it was because Lawson demanded so much attention. Lawson was so disruptive that him, he himself, getting around that edge, getting to the quarterback, getting in the quarterback's face, forced the quarterback off his spot, which then allowed all of his other teammates to eat. The Jets don't really have that player outside, that dominant edge threat, that dominant speed rush, that dominant presence outside to make that work. You know, Robert Sala's defense in San Francisco was led by Nick Bosa. That's what led it. And then you saw DeForest Buckner eat, and you saw um, D Ford eat, and you saw Eric Armstead eat. But it was because of the disruption that Bosa caused. The best solid defense was in 2019 when Bosa was there and Bosa was making an impact. When you take Bosa out of the equation, the defensive line can still be pretty good. The defensive line still has a lot of good playmakers, but it's not as good. It's not as dominant. It's not as effective. The Jets' defensive line, as is, is not as talented as the Niners were in 2019 or the Niners were in 2020. And now you remove Carl Lawson from that equation, it's not good, right? And and the one play that I'll go back to is, is actually the sack that Bryce Huff had in that Giants game, right? Because everyone's like, oh man, Bryce Huff could be in for a big year. Bryce Huff's this disruptive force. Yes, Bryce Huff has that sack because of Carl Lawson. Lawson beat his guy around the outside, came around the spot, and was in a position to crush Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon felt it took a step up, and when he took a step up, that's when Bryce Huff was coming on the inside and was able to take him down. Huff doesn't get there if not for Lawson pushing him up. So now you need to replace Lawson, and there is not a player on this defensive line capable of replacing Carl Lawson. And I'm not saying that as a criticism to anyone else. I'm saying that almost as a praise for the type of player that Carl Lawson was. This was a player that was getting two or three sacks daily. I have never seen that in any training camp practice I've ever covered. And now the Jets need to find a way to replace that. And what they showed against the Packers is that that's not going to be easy because Huff cannot do what Lawson did. Hamilcar cannot do what Lawson did. Franklin Myers cannot do what Lawson did. Quinn and Williams can have a hell of an impact inside. But again, you need that presence outside. You need that dominant force outside. And right now, the Jets do not have it. And it's troubling. It's concerning. And it really, I mean, I said this on the hit with SNY. There's no point in sugarcoating it. This is a catastrophic blow to this Jets defense. And no, the Jets were never going to make the playoffs this year. They were never going to make a Super Bowl run. So you can say, oh, well, Lawson will heal up and get ready and he'll be good to go next year. And that's when the Jets will really need him. But I mean, look, it's it's bad. Now, do I think this makes the difference between the Jets were going to win eight games and now they're going to win five? No, they were probably a four, five, six win team before this. And now they're probably a four, five, six win team anyway. They're just now going to let up 35 points a game as opposed to 28 points a game, but it's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's not good. There's no point in trying to to sing about, you know, dandelions and roses and, and, and sugar and sweets and all this stuff, because this is not good. It's not. I mean, the Jets lost their best player for the season to a ruptured Achilles tendon, which also could have 
impact and, and play a role in his year next year too. Because I mean, it's, not, it's no guarantee he's just going to come back at 100% next year. So you might not even have a full Carl Lawson until 2022. So, or 2023, I'm sorry. So I, I don't, Look, like I said, man, it's 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 not good. But what we're going to learn a lot about over these next couple of weeks and throughout this season, Robert Sala, great motivator, inspirational guy, players coach, all that stuff. But he is a defensive guy. That's where he cut his teeth was on the defensive side of the ball. The Jets have gone from a team that was going to naturally get pressure with their front four to a team that's going to have to orchestrate and schematically get to the quarterback. And that's going to come down to Robert Sala. It's going to come down to Jeff Ulbrich. And it's going to come down to those two guys finding ways to get to the quarterback. Because we've said this a number of times, Tim. If the Jets don't get to the quarterback with this secondary, they are in deep, deep trouble. Then your weaknesses get a spotlight on them. Um, So right before we started recording, the Jets actually did put out a a uh, tweet uh, uh, release as well, though. Carl Lawson officially on the IR. Corey Ballantine uh, has been waived, but they've signed defensive end Aaron Adoye. I hope I said that name right. And offensive lineman Isaiah Williams. Um, those That's not going to fix the problem, Connor, but is there a chance they also maybe try to trade for somebody? They could. I mean, look, it's... Who are you going to get? All right, that's kind of my thing, is that... If you're going to trade, you're going to have to trade assets because maybe Jamison Crowder is is available. Uh, Braxton Barrios isn't going to move the needle anyway. So the only real players with value that the Jets have right now that another team might potentially want would be Keelan Cole, uh, maybe Jamison Crowder. Keelan Cole, I will say, I would be stunned if the Jets moved him. And the reasoning for that is Joe Douglas is very, very aware of what happened to this team last year. And what I mean by that is, do you remember when Denzel Mims went down and uh, Rashad Perryman went down and the Jets were basically forced to start Lawrence Cager in a game against the Colts? I can tell you that that game still gives Joe Douglas nightmares. He still wakes up in his sleep screaming about the thought of having to have his young quarterback and Sam Darnold throw two guys incapable of playing receiver in the NFL. That's why the Jets went out and drafted Elijah Moore. That's why they brought back uh, Vincent Smith. That's why they brought back Jamison Crowder in the New Deal. That's why they drafted Elijah Moore. That's why they signed Keelan Cole. If the Jets were to lose Corey Davis and they were to have traded Keelan Cole, the next guy up is Vincent Smith, who's like an okay deep threat, but he's not scaring anybody. They don't really, they want Keelan Cole on this roster because they want that depth. They don't want to do to Zach Wilson what they did to Sam Darnold. So I would be stunned if Keelan Cole is dealt. Jamison Crowder, maybe because you have Elijah Moore who can play the slot and Braxton Barrios who can play the slot. So if that's, that's, you can basically have three very, very capable slot receivers. Braxton Barrios doesn't have any value, but Jamison Crowder does. So maybe the Jets could potentially move him for somebody, but you're going to have to deal assets. And, Joe Douglas has shown us in the past he's not very receptive to dealing his draft picks. He wants his draft picks. He wants to accumulate draft picks. He's more apt to trade players for picks than he is picks for players. So who are you going to go out there and get? That's my thing. And and you kind of look at guys. The one that I would look at is potentially Derek Barnett. Reasoning for it is that Joe Douglas was obviously in Philadelphia when he was drafted. There's some familiarity there. He knows Howie Roseman. The Eagles could potentially want a receiver. Maybe it's Crowder. I don't know. But that's one that I could potentially see. I, I know someone flirted around the idea of Brandon Graham. I don't think that's potential. I mean, Brandon Graham's older, and and he's he's you know he went back to Philly. They're not going to look to trade him. Uh, I know Chandler Jones is a name that a lot of people are talking about, that a lot of people are interested in. If you sign, if you trade for him, the Cardinals aren't going to want to give him away. So you're going to have to give up some substantial, some something of substantial value. And then after you trade something of substantial value, much like Barnett, you're going to have to pay the guy. So I'm not opposed to the Derek Barnett trade because I would think that I think he's a player that is ascending and he's somebody that even if you trade from you have the money to re-sign him and suddenly you're too defensive I mean you got a hell of a rotation with Derek Barnett and Carl Lawson on the outside John Franklin Myers is still in that rotation as a as a rotational defensive end defensive tackle Quinn Williams I mean you got a lot there I mean that that tag team is impressive and if you think the Jets wouldn't want to I mean look the 49ers had Eric Armstead DeForest Bunkner they traded for D4 they had both I mean it's it's been done before, especially with guys that are familiar with this scheme, even the Eagles. I mean, they, they've they've had a rotational a rotation of solid defensive linemen for a very long time. But other than those guys, 
Jones, who I don't think is happening. Brandon Graham, I don't think is happening. I would probably say, I know Danielle Hunter is, is one that, that a lot of people have talked about. I mean, you're going to have to trade a lot for him and give up picks. I would think the one that would maybe possibly work would be Derek Barnett. But again, the one thing I'll constantly go back to with this, there's no one that you can trade for that's not going to cost an arm and a leg that is going to have the impact that the Jets were the Jets thought Carl Lawson was going to have. Again, I talked to people over in that building, and they were saying that they signed him thinking he was going to be a very good player. Once they saw him practice, they were preparing for an all-pro year. That's what they thought they were getting from this kid. Now he's gone. You're not just going to go find an all-pro pass rusher that someone's willing to give you for Jamison Crowder. You're not going to find an all-pro pass rusher someone's willing to give you for Braxton Berrios. You're not going to find an all-pro pass rusher someone's willing to give you for a fourth or fifth round pick. That's going to cost multiple ones. Look at what Khalil Mack went for. It's going to cost a significant amount. And I just don't know if Joe Douglas is going to be willing to do that in a year where even if you acquire a game-changing pass rusher, you're probably still only going to win five or six games. All right, let's look back on the game itself, Connor, the risers and fallers, who looked good, who looked bad, and we have to start as we tend to do with Zach Wilson. But the good news is Zach Wilson is in the risers section this week. 9 of 11, 128 yards, couple of touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, he looked confident. He looked like the moment, well, it's preseason, but the moment wasn't too big for him. And he improvised a little bit too, which really stood out to me, the fact that you saw him he didn't scramble for yardage, but scrambled to create time to make a play happen. I mean, this is the Zach Wilson we've wanted to see. Yeah, yeah, and and I'll be honest with you, man. I mean, we've kind of been saying this over and over and over again, and and it's one of the things that I think is the most impressive aspect of Zach Wilson's play is that at no point has the game looked too big for him, and that is as cliche as iron sharpens iron, and it's as regurgitated and thrown out there all the time whenever you talk about young quarterbacks and these quarterbacks and these players and yada, yada, yada. Oh, the game's not too big for him. The game's not too big for him. But in Wilson's case, that's really like the best way to describe it because he's looked comfortable from day one. He's never looked like a fish out of water. I mean, there's been some bad throws. There hasn't been, you know, greatness constantly, but he's always kind of looked in control and he's had really good days and he's had not so good days, but never that day where you're like, oh my this was so catastrophic, catastrophically awful. And even on the bad days he has, a lot of it's because he's just been had got or he's just had guys around him so often that he's never been able to get in that rhythm. Or he's had guys around him so often that he's never been able to get going. You know, it's almost like he's just on his back every play where you can't really analyze him and figure him out. But against the Packers, I think this was as in control as I've seen him. And and we saw so many of the things that make him special. You know, there was the movement within the pocket, like you said. There was the arm strength, like you said. There was the patience with his reads, but also the ability to go through his reads. I mean, he never looked rushed. He never looked nervous. He never looked on edge. He really just looked good. And I know I wrote this, and it's, it's true. I mean, there's part of that has to do, you know, one of the reasons why he had so much time in the pocket was that the Packers basically trotted out their second and third team defensive line. One of the reasons why Corey Davis was running wide open on certain routes is because he was going up against the second and third team corners. And, and all of that is true and that is accurate. But if the 2019 jets taught us anything, although, I mean, I guess when it was the 2019 jets and, and, you know, Adam Gase and co beat up on all those bad teams, then it was, well, then, well, they're only playing bad teams. That's when competition did matter. That's when the level of competition did matter. But now the level of competition doesn't matter. So I love the moving of the goalpost here. That you know, okay, when it's when it's a pl- when it's somebody you don't like and you just want to paint on the night, then it's like, okay, this is the case. But then when somebody you do, oh, you know, my, I'm, I don't feel like ranting today. But I, I didn't I didn't wake up and choose violence. I'm kind of just I'm more like exhausted at this point in time. But um, he played who was in front of him, and he looked remarkably good against the people he was in front of him. And there is nothing you could have wanted more from Zach Wilson in that showing against the Packers than what he showed you. I mean, even the one drive that kind of stalled there on the third and one, that didn't stall because of him. That was because of another meltdown on the offensive line. And if they pick up that first down, Zach's probably going to take him right into the right into the, the, the end zone and score again. So my only concern with Wilson is not, Anything he's shown, I just, I more just to get him ready for the regular season and to get him prepped for the regular season. 
I wish he would see some teams starting defense right now in a game-like atmosphere just so he can get that experience, just so he can get some reps against that, just so he can see that speed. Because you don't really want that speed to come in week one against the Panthers. You know, and look, again, there's there's nothing the Jets can do because, like, I wrote this in the column, like, Robert Sala can't go to the Giants' sideline or the Packers' sideline or the Eagles' sideline and say, I need you to play your starter so we can let Zach see that. That's not how this works. So all they can do is go against those that are in front of them. It just would have been really good and really great to see Wilson get those reps against the starting defense so we can start to get acclimated to that speed of the game so the first time he sees it isn't week one. But at the same time, he didn't get that opportunity. That's not how these cards fell. But the way that the cards did fall, he looked excellent. I mean, he really did. It was another day that you can build on. It was another day you can stack one on. I mean, he still made the throws. He still went through his reads. He still figured that out. And again, I can tell you now, like, Zach Wilson's preseason outing there was better than anything I saw from Sam Darnold. It was better than anything I ever saw from Geno Smith or Christian Hackenberg or Bryce Petty. I know that's a low bar to clear, but at the same time, it's taking that next step. It's it's showing something new and something else. And, and I think Zach's doing that. And you got to be happy. You got to be excited if you're a Jet fan. And, and, you know, the one thing that it doesn't matter what level of competition you play, that arm strength and that arm talent, the first throw to Corey Davis, the 27-yarder to Corey Davis, even the one rolling out to Trayvon Wesco, even the one where he rolled out across his body, stopped, and then got it to, to Ryan, uh, not Ryan Griffin, I'm sorry, Tyler Croft, who then juked his way into the end zone. Those throws can be made against starters as much as second, third, fourth, fifth stringers, and not every quarterback can make the play that Zach Wilson did against did to Corey Davis on that improvisation. It was good. It was really, really good, and the optimism is building. The only thing I know it's a wet blanket saying, but the only I just wish he could. I wish I wish Zach was given the opportunity to do this against starters. Like I just wish he was granted that opportunity, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So we're just going to have to wait to see what it looks like against the uh, against the Panthers. Yeah, week one. What a way to find out. Sure. Um, so Elijah Moore obviously still out. Which, if there's a silver lining to that, and the fact that Zach Wilson hasn't had Elijah Moore to focus in on, is there's now really this chemistry with Corey Davis, right? And Davis has looked like the number one receiver that they signed him to be. Six catches, 88 yards in the preseason so far, and he's really just played two quarters. So you think of a half of football, that's that's pretty darn good. Tyler Croft was good too. I mean, the two touchdown passes, I mean, he's not going to be your star tight end, but it was nice to see production out of the tight end position for this Jets team as they continue to be disappointed in what Chris Herndon does. But, but Davis, man, it, it was neat to see because he seemed to find the openings when Zach Wilson needed him. Yeah, he did. And, and, you know, they've, that's the one benefit to this. um, Like you said, the one benefit to the Elijah Moore injury is that it's given Corey Davis and Zach Wilson a lot of time to work together. And the one player that hasn't stepped up in the way that I thought he would, would be Jamison Crowder. Like for whatever reason, he and Zach just haven't connected in the way that, that Jamison and Sam did, because with Sam Darnold, I mean, that was his safety blanket. Like, that was the guy that when all else went went awry, he went to Jamison Crowder and he went to Jamison Crowder. Like, his first game, what was it against the Bills? Or first game against the Bills where Crowder caught, like, 14 passes or some absurd number like that for 99 yards. Like, that was kind of his safety blanket. It's almost like Zach's safety blanket is becoming Corey Davis. And, and I think the reasoning for it is that, you know, we said this before. Corey's not a a, a guy who's excellent at any one thing. He's just very good at everything. You know, he's a a very good route runner. He is. And he's gotten a lot better this year with the Jets than he ever was with the the Tennessee Titans. He's got very, very good hands. He's got not huge size like Julio, but he does have very good size and and plays a little bit bigger than a 6'3", 209-pound frame indicates. And he has this uncanny ability to almost box out the defender or just contort his body in ways that he creates windows that weren't necessarily there. You know, some guys create windows with their route running and just get separation. Davis does that sometimes as well, but, but some, he just runs these routes and the way that he positions his body, he creates windows for the quarterback. And and when you're a young quarterback and you're looking for windows and you're looking for things, maybe that can kind of make the game easier than, than you want it. Like just ease the game a little bit. That's a big way to do it. And I've been wildly impressed with how, as far as an improving 
standpoint goes. And as far as as every day getting better and every week getting better, I don't think there's any player in camp who's better now compared to where they were when things began. Because when practices began, when training camps began, obviously we didn't see too much of Corey Davis because he had that minor injury in, in OTAs and he did a little bit of mini camp. But training camp, like that first week or so, first few practices, you know, he caught some passes, made some nice plays, but it wasn't really anything. I would say like the last two weeks or so, maybe one and a half weeks, that's really when we've seen Davis and coincidentally lines up with the Elijah Moore injury. Wilson has been going to Davis more and more and more and more and more. And when you then have Elijah Moore come back and they, the Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore pick up where they left off with their chemistry and their rhythm to go along with the chemistry and rhythm that, that Wilson's developed with Corey Davis, it's a real good thing for the Jets because... You know, we, we made fun of Joe Douglas and everyone made fun of Joe Douglas about protection and playmakers, protection and playmakers. But now you ruin Sam Darnold with no protection or playmakers. The Jets actually have a really good grouping of receivers and they don't have that one bona fide number one, but they've got a lot of good guys. When you talk about a, lo- a healthy Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Jamison Crowder, a reliable Braxton Berrios. I mean, there's a lot of guys there for Zach Wilson to work with. And when it comes one last note on Corey Davis, and, and I think I was talking to Brian Costello about this and. I think he came up with the player comparison that was perfect is that not from a the way they play the game standpoint, but from the role that they had on their teams. I think Corey Davis is like the perfect Eric Decker and maybe a little bit better than Eric Decker in that he is a borderline number one, but an excellent number two. And the Jets went out and they got Eric Decker first. Then they brought in Brandon Marshall. The Jets have gone out and gotten Corey Davis. I think eventually, maybe it's Elijah Moore, but maybe they go and they bring in that true outside receiver that's going to be a game changer. But Corey Davis is the guy that you want. You know, Peyton Manning's Broncos teams, yeah, Demarius Thomas, Demarius Thomas, but they're not the same without Decker. You know, even that 2015 Jets, they had Brandon Marshall who set all those records, but Brandon Marshall isn't the same without Eric Decker. I think in two or three years, we're going to be talking about a pretty good Jets offense, and we're going to be saying, yeah, Elijah Moore's a stud. Yeah, this player they added in free agency to the drafts is stud, but they're not as effective without Corey Davis. And and he's somebody that's just going to be a quarterback's best friend. He's You can tell he brings energy. He brings passion when he catches the ball and he's pounding his chest. I mean, that's going to get his teammates going. He plays every play like it's his last. He's an ascending player, clearly, who hasn't even scratched the surface of the potential that he dabbled with in Tennessee. He was a great signing for the Jets. I genuinely believe that. It's only going to get better, and I think you'll see his value as the years truly go on. All right, so those are the guys that impressed, or some of the guys that impressed. Uh, the one other one we should mention is maybe the Jets have a kicker. We'll see, but Matt Amendola, yeah, 3 seriously. of 3, uh, booted a 54-yarder that looked beautiful. Also a 46-yarder, a couple of extra points. We're not going to spend time here on the kicker, but we hope that maybe the Jets have one. We'll, we'll see. Uh, so as far as guys whose stock is down, I mean, I can't say the entire defense, although it almost felt like it threw right the first couple series of that game, where the the Packers send out a backup offensive unit with a third-string quarterback, and they just shred this Jets defense. Um, it, it wasn't pretty. Obviously, it's a defense that's sending out a vanilla package, but, but nonetheless, you would think that they would be getting a little pressure even without loss and something. So it was disappointing. Um, I want to focus in on a guy who had an opportunity, Connor, though, and that is Isaiah Dunn, because right, he had the chance to start here with Bless Austin out and did not. It's all about getting opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities in the NFL when you're a guy like Isaiah Dunn, and he didn't do it. No, he didn't. I mean, he he kind of struggled. He struggled at different points throughout the camp. I know Michael Dunn, the other Michael, the 1B, I know is going to be in the chat like, no, don't trash the Dunn. But no, I mean. The sad thing is they, they, he's wanted us to talk about him since they signed yeah, him and we, we haven't yeah. and now we're finally talking about him because he yeah. played bad yeah uh i i think that yes yeah, <laughs> i knew he was gonna be in there um i think that he hey look the jets have continually trotted different guys out there at corner to see if it works they've trotted different guys out there to see if this one sticks or if this is the right move or if that's the right move and and that's why you've seen Pinnock gets snaps. You've seen Dunn get snaps. You've seen Eccles get snaps. Ultimately, what the Jets are going to settle on is is Bryce Hall at one side, bless bless Austin on the other, and then probably Javin, Javelin Gidry to start at nickel. Uh, and then they'll have Michael Carter and Pinnock and and Eccles and and these guys and Dunn and all in in the rotation as well. But you know, it's kind of one of those things where if we're going into the final preseason game and the fifth week of training camp, and we're like. 
you know, oh, it's still an open competition to corner. What that means is that no one has really seized control of the job, you know, and, and I think that's the case is that the Jets have given a number of players opportunities to seize control of the job. Austin and Hall clearly haven't seized control of the job because the Jets are giving Eccles and Pinnock chances to seize control of the job. And when Eccles and Pinnock and Dunn have gotten a chance to perform and play, they haven't necessarily done anything to deserve to take those reps from Hall and Austin. Not because Hall or Austin look like they deserve them, but because Dunn and everyone else doesn't look like they deserve them. And the concerns I think that we had about this secondary before the season started, the concerns we've had about this secondary certainly throughout training camp and and that the Jets have said, no, we're going to go with the young guys. We're going to let the young guys play. We're going to see what the young guys are there. It was almost like we fell back into the, okay, well, maybe the coaches are right and just trust the coaches and, and they maybe they know something we don't. Turns out, no, the Jets needed a corner. The Jets should have drafted someone before they did Michael Carter. They should have made a run at either a Dory Jackson or Griffin and given the money out there or, or signed somebody else or maybe grabbed Steven Nelson. I mean, because this secondary is not good. And I think the one area that you could potentially say it'll maybe work out was that if the pass rush was so disruptive and so lethal and so dominant that they were just forcing the quarterback off his spot so frequently that it masked the weaknesses of the secondary. But that's not happening because now with Carl Lawson gone, the Jets are going to have to manufacture pressure. And the way that you manufacture pressure is by blitzing and stunting and, and disguising things. And when you blitz and stunt and disguise things, you lose the simplicity of the defense that makes Robert Sala's defense so impactful because it's simpler, so it allows players to play more freely. But if you start blitzing and those guys don't get home, suddenly your corners are an island. You don't have the luxury of dropping three guys plus your two safeties, maybe your linebacker or two, and just getting pressure with your front four. You now need to rush six or seven to get guys home, which means four guys are out there on the outside on an island. And I would be extremely concerned and extremely alarmed with this secondary heading into the season because when we watch these joint practices with the Packers, and I know this is Aaron Rodgers, and I know the Packers are a very good team, there were a number of the times that the Jets forced the Packers into third down situations, third and fours, third and fives, third and sixes, things of that nature. Uh, they they practiced situations too where it was like you need third and medium yards to go, second and medium yards to go, things like that especially on the first day and again on the second day, whenever the Packers needed anything, all they did was just run a slant. They didn't drop Rodgers back and have him run around for 10 minutes. They didn't switch it. Like they didn't do any of these crazy. They literally just ran a slant. Adams on a slant. Scandling on a slant. MV, like all of these guys and random guys, Tanyan, like guys I have never even heard. They were just Running on slant. They were just slants. Slants, 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 slants. And they were always open. And when you run those slants, and when you create those types of plays, the quarterback doesn't need to hold the ball long enough. So it's tough for a dominant front four to get home when you're just, the ball's out of the hand so quick, let alone a line now that's taken a hit like the Jets just did with Lawson. I don't trust the Jets' corners to even cover guys on slants. Like, they have to get home even before that. And there were two plays back-to-back between Aaron Rodgers... This is when Carl Lawson was still healthy. Between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams at the Jets' five-yard line, they went for back-to-back touchdowns, where Adams literally ran to the goal line, cut left to the pylon, and caught a touchdown. Rodgers threw the ball. It was basically snapped to him in the shotgun, and he threw the ball, and Adams was open. And I know that's Adams, and I know that's Rodgers, but there was no coverage at all from the Jets' secondary. And that's going to be something to watch throughout this year. And the one place where it could get even worse and the one thing that stood out to me even more on on Saturday was that the Jets struggled immensely in stopping the run. Whether it was Hill or whether it was Dylan, the Jets could not stop the run against the Packers. That's a problem because the Jets haven't been able to stop the run in training camp either. So when you're not stopping the run in training camp and then you're not stopping the run in the preseason games, that makes me wonder that now you're not only talking about it. If you can't stop the run, that means you're going to be giving these teams short sticks anyway, shortened to go situations anyway. And then you're going to put the pressure on your secondary to stop these guys when all they need is four or five. It's I have a lot of concerns about this defense going into week one a lot. All right. Marissa mentioned it. The Eagles are coming. The Eagles have landed soon. I'll use that cliche here in New Jersey. Uh, that means that uh, our friends from our 
I don't want to say competition. They're all part of the team. But the Birds with Friends guys are going to be hanging out with Connor uh, in Florham Park oh, this be. week as well. Should be a whole lot of fun for everyone. Um, but seriously, Connor, when you look at them going from joint practices with the Packers, a team that was 13-3 and last year and a favorite to go to the Super Bowl and is again, to going to the Eagles, it's quite a drop-off. But how does that impact the Jets and their preparation for week one? Well, it's actually funny because, you know, I, I don't I, – I, I actually talked to Robert about this, and it was – there's a lot of – there were a lot of connections, obviously, between the Jets and the Packers. Obviously, Mike LaFleur and Matt LaFleur, Sala and Matt LaFleur. There was a lot of, like, trust that could be built between those coaching staffs because of the number of connections between the two sides. So the Jets knew the Packers were not going to trade their film to anyone. And the Packers knew the Jets weren't going to trade their film to anyone. That this was truly going to be about two teams trying to get better, trying to see different looks, trying to improve themselves and and keep taking those steps forward. They knew that because the coaching staffs knew each other. Plus, the Jets could put everything they want out there against the Packers, knowing that the Packers weren't going to play the Jets in the regular season, so it really didn't matter if they showed them all these looks. Only if they meet in the Super Bowl, Connor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Very good point. The uh, The Jets play the Eagles this year. Like, they're going to play them in the regular season. There's also very little crossover between the Jets coaching staff and the Eagles coaching staff. Now, there is between Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas. That's how this thing got set up. But there's not between the coaching staff. So I was kind of curious if the Jets were going to go with a more vanilla approach, not wanting to put all that tape. But this is going to be a week of practice that I'm going to be fascinated to see because obviously the two teams are much more evenly matched. Like, that's a fact. Like, the Eagles are not a very good football team. The Jets are not a very good football team. They're going to be a very evenly matched. They're very, very evenly matched. Uh, It's obviously a different defensive front, so I'm curious to see that. The Eagles have a lot of good pass rushers, so I'm curious to see how... Becton holds up against Graham and against Barnett and how the interior of the Jets offensive line, especially Vera Tucker, if he gets back and handle Fletcher Cox, that kind of a thing. But I'm very curious if, one, there's going to be more fights because these are two teams that, again, there's not that note where the Jets are going to go, look, guys, we know those guys over there. Like, it was very friendly. I mean, there was one between Eccles and uh, Randall Cobb, one fight there, that, and it was right after Carl Lawson went down, so you can know why tempers were high. There was like that one little fight there, but that was it. It was such a good, just like very like guys really coming together to be competitive and help each other. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case with the Eagles. And I'm also curious if the Jets are not going to be as open. And the one thing Sala said was like, no, you know, we're going to play. We don't play them till later in the year. So he goes, you know, that we're, they'll have enough film on us anyway, because they'll see our, our regular season games. But he did then say, but there will be some things that we don't show. And it's so it's like, I'm, I'm, the Jets will definitely have gotten more out of the Packers than they do out of these Eagles. But um, I am, it's going to be another fun week of just seeing the Jets go up against somebody else. Yeah, certainly. And another, and a fun week to, to try to get some more guys healthy, right? Next week was all, last week was all about the injuries and a devastating week as far as that goes. Um, are we going to see anybody come back over the course of this week or are we going to have to wait, keep our fingers crossed for week one? What was that? I'm sorry. I'm, I totally missed that. Sorry. I, Do I you expect any of the injured players to make their way back onto the field this yeah, week? Yeah, sorry about that. So Elijah Moore apparently is going to um, take some – he's going to do some stuff. They're totally working back. Uh, and the same thing with Vera Tucker, who did individual drills against the Packers. Um, not against the Packers. I'm sorry. Individual drills the week of the Packers practices. Um they're going to slowly work them in. Solid did tell us today that, you know, God willing, both those guys are going to be ready for week one. So that's the plan is that the Jets will have them on the field against the Panthers. So there's not too much concern about that. Obviously, there would be a huge concern if that wasn't the case. The one guy who obviously we haven't even talked about him yet is uh, that, that will not be doing anything is Jared Davis, who is out now until week six. He's got the ankle injury. Um, that is a huge, another really big blow for this Jets defense. Because again, aside from the front line, the only real true experience the Jets had aside from Marcus May was when you could throw in Jared Davis and and CJ Mosley, two guys that have both played middle linebacker in the NFL, guys who have called defenses before, guys who were leaders. They were the veterans in the middle of the line. They really didn't have much experience at that position if you took those guys out, which is actually why Jamie and Sherwood is now this team's starting middle linebacker, the converted safety. And, you know, we're not, we haven't talked too much because obviously the Carl Lawson storyline stole everything. 
uh, stole a lot of the attention and, and for good reason. But Jared Davis was going to be a very important player for this defense. He was like their enforcer. He was their physicality. He was like the tone setter, the one that even in pre- when practices got chippy, Davis was in the middle of it. I mean, if there was a big hit laid down, it was Jared Davis. And now Jared Davis isn't there. And Sherwood's going to be, but he's going to be swimming a lot of this. And I, I, the one po- the one, the one area of this team with the Jets that you could say, like, I didn't have any concerns with a week and a half ago would have been the front seven. I had no concerns at all with the four defensive linemen of Carl Lawson, Quinnen Williams, Foley Fatukasi, or Sheldon Rankins, John Franklin Myers, or Bryce Huff. Those four, technically six guys for the front four, I had no issues with, along with Hamza at outside linebacker because he was sitting next to C.J. Mosley and Jared Davis. That front seven... I thought we're going to be really good. I really did. Now taking Carl Lawson out of the equation and not being able to replace him because you don't have anyone that is as impactful as Carl Lawson is, then taking Jared Davis out and potentially replacing him with another rookie or Noah Dawkins or Blake Cashman, now you're just adding more questions and removing the certainties from this scheme and from this defense. And it... Again, I, I, I'm not trying to be the Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. Like I'm, I'm not trying to go that route. And, and if you want positivity, I would say look towards the offense because Zach Wilson, I think, is going to be a good player. Corey Davis is going to be exciting. Elijah Moore is going to be really exciting. I think the offensive line is going to be good when everyone's healthy. Although I have my concerns with Becton and his pass blocking, he's still an elite level run blocking left tackle. And the group is going to be your best line that you've seen from the Jets in several, several years. But now it's like... it. it it could be a long year. It could be a, a a very long year. All right, really quick before we get to your uh, whistling straight story, uh, any update on McDermott and his injury? There's a lot of chat about it in the chat. Uh, yeah, apparently I t- we saw it talked about him. I don't think that's like season ending, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's not. I don't think that's a season ending injury. I got to double check on that again. Okay. Uh, I should go back and read because as soon as Sala was talking today, I was writing about Jared Davis. So I'll I'll tweet that out because Sala did mention him. I'm, but I'm almost positive it's not season ending. So I think he avoided like a big scare there. All right, the best golfers from the United States and Europe will be in Wisconsin September 24th to the 26th for the Ryder Cup. But before that, Connor Hughes took on the same course, whistling straights. Connor, you went out there and and they let you have a caddy too, which I feel bad for the caddy. But no, just seriously, just talk about the, uh, how was the course? I'm sure that from what I've heard, I've never played with a caddy. From what I've heard, when you get a caddy that knows the course, there's nothing better. Go ahead. I'm so, I am so glad that that's how you prefaced (laughs) me in this story. I am so glad. Because let me tell you, about my whistling straights caddy. Let me, t- and, and by the way, for everyone on YouTube, I'll just put the disclaimer now, for everyone that bitches at me when I talk about non-football, now is the time to leave. The show is over, goodbye. You guys don't have to, you <laughs> guys don't have to. minutes. Yeah, yeah, and even if I go a little lower, I can I can be late to my next appointment, like five, like, so I can talk a little bit longer about this. So uh, yeah, so you guys <laughs> got. I had a hard out at six o'clock, but when yeah. we started talking about golf, yeah, I have to go see my tailor. pretty soft. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to, yeah, I have to go see my tailor and all this shit, but. <laughs> So they, yeah, not to sound bougie or anything, although that probably is the most bougie thing I've ever said, but, uh, tw- uh, YouTube comment section, we've made it 50 minutes of nothing but Jets talk. And one thing about me talking about Lambo, so you can leave now. I'm going to not talk about Jets. Bye-bye. Don't leave a nasty comment section or anything like that. not supposed to just purposely like kill our numbers. No, please don't. You got, <laughs> you got 50 minutes. No, cause I'm, no, cause I'm not going to get this like bullshit, but we'll carry a golf game. Tell me Jets. Like I'm tired. I gave you Jets. Now I'm going to tell you the most ridiculous caddy story that has ever been <laughs> told in the world. And I will say that from the start, like whistling straights was incredible. I reached out to their head pro was like, Hey, my name's Connor. I work for the athletic. I'm in town for like this Packers practice. I saw you guys are like crazy. Like, if, is there any way I can get on the course? And they were so accommodating. They comped a lot of things for me. They put me on the course basically for free. All I had to pay for was the caddy. They were like, oh, media, your media? Yeah, absolutely. We'll bring the media out. Just promote the course, all that stuff. I was like, absolutely, I'll promote the course. <laughs> so I get my caddy. Tim, I've never played with a caddy before my entire life, much like you. So I was very excited for this caddy because I thought I was going to, A, have a new friend 
and I'm a very friendly, I like making friends, which is why I basically have to sign up for like double duty therapy now with all of the hate mail that I'm getting in my comment <laughs> section about Jets, Jets crap and like the nastiness from you guys about everything that I do and everyone hates me. So it's like, you know, help me now because that's all depressing. But anyway, so I was like, I'm going to have a new friend who's a caddy. He's going to teach me how to read greens and he's going to like explain the course and everything to me. Meet my caddy. His name, should I say his name? No. no Probably shouldn't say no. his name. No, no, I shouldn't bury him. Right, I was gonna say I should bury him. If I so paid, I if I paid the full price on, for this Connor. round, if I had, if I paid the full price for this round, I would I would have absolutely dropped his name. In fact, for the dudes who paid six hundred dollars to play this course and had to deal with this guy's bullshit the entire time, like mm-hmm. I would say, like absolutely, it's worth it. So I meet my caddy for the first time. Big beard, super long hair, younger though, kind of like me. And he's like, I say, I shake him out. Say, hey, my name's Connor. Like, nice to meet you. I'm really excited to play. I've never played with a caddy before. He goes. Lucky me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so we're off to a good start. So obviously I'm talking. I wonder if he Googled you. <laughs> no, no. Apparently I asked. So they find out who they're caddying for like right then. So I'm like, oh, that was kind of mean. But maybe I just misheard it. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm bubbly. It's me. I'm like, when I got hired at the Star Ledger, they hired me because they call me their ray of sunshine because I'm always in a good you mood. You are, Connor. Like, yeah, until jet fans just destroy me. But so I'm like, oh, it's like, this will be, oh, maybe I just misheard him. So we're talking and, and he goes like, I'm saying like, oh, it's like, man, so I'm Connor. I'm in town from New York. He goes, never been there before. It's <laughs> like, okay, that's another weird thing to say. I was like, oh, it's like, so how long have you been caddying for? Like, as we're about to walk to the first tee, we're just killing time before the starter calls. Of other like, how long have you been caddying for? He goes, since 2006. I was like, oh, it's a really long time. I was like, do you, do you like doing it? Looks me dead in the eyes and goes, you think I'd enjoy it? You think I'd hate it if I'd been doing it since 2006? <laughs> I'm like... Oh no. <laughs> and now if you guys like anyone who wants to know anything about me, I don't do well under pressure. I don't. So now I feel tense. Now I feel like on edge. Now I feel like I'm being judged and just like bit. So it's basically like little lines like that the first three holes we play. If anyone has ever played golf with a caddy before, Tim, like you said, they give you reads, right? Like they give you reads. So this guy would walk behind you and like whisper like two cups over. Play right side. <laughs> that bump right there. But it was under his breath. And it's not like we're, I'm playing with three older guys who are like really casual, like nice guys. Like, like those little like, I'm like, I couldn't hear him. So I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What did you say? He goes, you're going to make me repeat myself. I'm like, holy crap. I was like, dude, I didn't hear you. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm paying to have a caddy basically bully me. This is like I'm in middle school again. Like, I, I'm basically, I'm being bullied. Like, what the hell is going on here? So we get to, like, we get to the third hole. And so the way this works is we had two caddies. One guy took me and this older guy. And the other caddy, who was the nicest person in the world, took these two other people. So we're on the third hole on a par three. And the guy I'm paired with, who's an older man, older, probably in his 60s, go, looks at my caddy and goes, Sir, I have played a lot of golf in my life. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is the worst experience with a caddy I have ever had. You have the worst attitude of anyone I have ever met. Wow. I'm usually a very good tip. I'm usually a very good tipper, but you're making it hard to give you a dollar. My caddy looks at him and goes, "It's fine. You look cheap anyway. I don't think I was getting anything from you to begin with." I am not lying. I'm dead serious. So I hear this as I'm about to swing. So I'm like, but God willing, I somehow hit the green. But I was like, oh my God. I was like, did that just happen? And the guy, the, so the guy who said that to him looks back over, goes, you know what? He goes, when we get to nine, why don't you leave? I'll call the pro shop and have another caddy sent out. So like, this is all happening. I'm, I'm imploding. I am like miserable. I'm like, I'm ready to cry. Like, and I'm playing whistling straights. And I'm like, I should be having the time of my life. I should be just loving life. And I'm sitting here just miserable as this guy is bullying me and being mean to me and people are yelling at each other and i'm like what is going on here and like all i'm thinking in my head is like man i was like i only basically played paid like 80 plus a tip to play here these guys paid 600 bucks and this is what they're getting i was like they gotta be livid i was like now granted i'm assuming if you're paying 600 to play a golf course like 600 dollars probably isn't anything for you and you're just like you know letting this go and you're probably loaded anyway but like i'm like holy shit so Front nine, I'm playing like dog shit. So we get to the ninth hole, Tim. And it's a par four playing green tees. Par four, 
which is basically like the blues on a normal course, not the pro tees. Par four, 354 downhill. So I'm playing like shit. I'm getting this guy talking in my ear, yelling at me, being mean. I think I'm like an incon. I'm paying him, but somehow I'm the inconvenience. And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? My driver's completely erratic. It's a 354 downhill. Take out my six iron, go like 200 yards down, down slope. So it's probably going to roll out to 220. My six iron's one of my most like 190, 195 club, super consistent. It's going to hit the slope, roll down, dry day. I'm like, I'll just do that. I'll have a nice wedge in. And I'll be able to get a par, maybe get my back nine started and be rolling. So I go to my go to my fucking caddy and I'm like, hey man, I was like, can I have my six iron? He looks at me, he goes, No, you can have your driver. And I'm like, I look and I was like, it's like a 354, right? He goes, It's what it says. I was like, okay, I was like, well, I was thinking like I kind of wanted to be a second shot of inside 140. And I've been a little off with my driver today. So I thought like maybe my six iron, which is my most consistent club, goes like 195 rolls out. I'll probably be pretty good with that one. It'll end up giving me like a pitching wedge, like 52 degree in. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was the one who was the caddy. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. Now I'm apologizing to my caddy for asking for my club. And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. I just, I, I was calling him sir. I'm like, should have been like, fuck you. But I'm like, oh, Strips has said that. That's so I'm like, I, I, I haven't even told Bree this story. Oh, yeah, I did tell Bree this story. She told me to call the course and like complain. I was like, yeah, but they like basically comp. So I was like, 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 but, but his name, I was like, I've been very erratic with my driver. I'm kind of worried about being in the rough, which is, by the way, like up to my like my knees. So I'm like, I, I'm like, I would rather not hit out of the rough for the 75th time today. I would kind of just like to be in the fairway. So he goes and he hands me my three wood. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, okay, that's, I said, I was like, that's not my six iron. He goes, you don't think I'm aware of that? I'm like, okay, I, I'll be honest. Like now I'm like, this is like, I, I can't yell it. I, now I'm so, I'm so frazzled. I was like, I don't want to be now beat up by asking for my club that I want to hit. I'm like, I'm just going to play my, my, my three wood. I'm just going to take my three wood. Take my three wood, knowing it's a tight goddamn fairway. My six iron would be perfect. I'm standing over the tee box. I'm like, I just want 200. This is going to go too far or be off. I'm like, all right, here we go. Swing my three wood. It actually wasn't a bad shot. It probably went like 220, 230 or so. It just faded. But because it's a tight freaking fairway, I fade into the rough that I've been trying to avoid the whole goddamn time. So now I'm like furious because I'm like, I know if I played my six iron, I'm in the middle of the goddamn fairway, but this asshole wouldn't give it to me. So I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, I'm just, Connor, breathe. You're on whistling straights. Enjoy yourself. Just breathe. So I'm like, <sighs> so I get to my ball in rough up to my knees. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to punch the ball out, get back onto the fairway. Then I can go on like 60 degree, sixty yards with a little chip, little pitch shot. And you know what, Connor? You'll be fine. You'll have one putt for par, two putt for bogeys. A bogey on a PGA course is good. My boy hands me my seven iron and says, go for the green. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, dude, I am in heavy rough that I haven't hit out of effectively once today. I have two massive trees in front of me that you're asking me to go over. What do you mean go for the green? And he looks at me, he goes, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> don't I? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no, you do not. You know how to be an asshole. So I'm like, you know what? I was like, just do what he says. Just do what he says, and maybe he'll stop bullying you. So what do I do? Take out my seven iron. It gets caught in the fucking rough. I top it, or I, I barely get out of it 100 yards right into a creek. Ball's gone. My boy looks at me, and he goes, well, that wasn't good. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? You did what you told me to do. I was so livid walking off the ninth hole that I was like, you know what? I was like, I looked at I was like, man, I was like, I'm going to be honest with you right here, dude. I was like... I'm getting so fed up. I was like, I'm just going to do things my way on the back nine. And can you just help me read greens? Right? So mad. He goes, whatever. By the way, my caddy, who aren't caddies supposed to walk with you and like carry your clubs and stuff? Every shot, my caddy's 80 yards in front of me. <laughs> to one point, I couldn't use the club I wanted to because he had it 100 yards away. He would just walk. He would like leave a club on the tee box and just walk away from me and just leave. He would just walk away. And I'm like, 
I wanted advice. I wanted, so I started talking to the other cat. He was one of the nicest gentlemen, big Packer fan, actually a subscriber to the athletic. So he, I, well, he's a, he knows Matt, but it's like he's a big fan. Maybe he watches the can't wait. I have no idea. You'll hear this. He was the nicest person I've ever met. So nice and helpful. I followed him the entire back nine. So my caddy leaves on the 10th hole. He's like 100 yards away, like being an asshole. So I'm finally away from this just toxic force. First drive, not shitting you. 312 right down the middle of the fairway. He goes like, I take my own club, pitch on two putt parts. My first part of the day on 10. And I'm like, you know what? Let's freaking go. Didn't listen to that guy the rest of the way. I shot a 44 on the back after like a 53 on the front. Just missed. But I'm telling you, like, I thought, again, I've never had a caddy before. So I thought maybe this is just how caddies work. Like, this is just how the experience goes. So Andy Vasquez, one of my best friends, covers the record. He's been golfing forever. We go to dinner after my round, and I tell him the caddy story. He is pissing his pants, and he goes, dude, he goes, I've played a lot of golf. He goes, I've never heard of a caddy like that. He goes, but the fact it was the first caddy you've ever experienced, he's like, that just takes the cake, my friend. He goes, that just takes the cake. But like, when I go back to, man, and I still tipped him and I was a nice guy. And like, I, I said, thanks so much for the round. I was a good, I was a good dude. But like, I'm not lying, dude. That was like the worst experience of my life on that front nine. I was like, I literally, I'm playing whistling straights. Like once in a lifetime course to be on. The number 22 course in the world. And I'm miserable because of this asshole. I'm like, this is just like, like what, what, like, what is, I, just, just awful. Just like, you got like, just driving me nuts just driving me truly nuts and like but i ended up regrouping came back together had a good back nine i got like a hat from there i got my ball marker all that stuff but like oof i'm just i'm just that was like something else that was like only me like honestly though that's only i'm the only one that will go to a course that is normally 600 dollars to play and get stuck with the like the some dude without a soul because that guy had he was just a miserable person he was so sad it just uh it totally ruined it though. Like it totally ruined that front nine for me. I got some good videos and stuff, but like, holy cow, man, that was, I didn't expect to pay to be bullied. I really did not. I Imagine if, paying full price. Imagine paying full price to get that. I wonder if he's always like that or if he was like, you know what? I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm just going to be a total ass today and see how it goes. Maybe. And you just like, happen to be the guy. It? I think so. Cause like, I'm telling <laughs> you, the, Andy said his caddy was incredible and the other guy who just didn't happen to pick up my bag was so nice. Like yeah. he knew, like he was, like he was a, like he was a diehard Packer fan, but he was like a huge NFL fan. So he knew about Carl Lawson. He knew about the Jets. He was asking about Zach Wilson. He was saying, "Who's their backup?" Like, like he was a very informed football fan. We had a great conversation the whole back nine, and like I got myself relaxed again, and then started playing some really good golf. But like, man, that front, like to be like anyway, to be like anxious a little bit anyway to be playing this course and like with random people, so you don't want to embarrass yourself. Like, holy hell, man. Like, it was like, like wow. Like, just, just wow. Whew. Um, Connor. All right. Real, even like, last, quick, last Connor, thing real quick. Just, like, just even to like make the you feel a little better. Hole. The wedding I went to on Friday, I was chatting with someone and I said I worked for The Athletic. And he said, oh, do you know Connor Hughes? He's my favorite. I read everything <laughs> of his. Really? And I said, oh. Don't tell uh, him yeah, that. Yeah, so, so let's, let's boost you up, Connor. Oh, uh, trust me, you can because there's about a thousand people who hate me in the comment section. I've seen some of these like banned comments that have come through as well. Like it's, it's, it's that the, was his Connor first comment. He had, right he now. did not know about the podcast, like which I was a little I like disappointed that. about, but he said, first thing when I said athletic, Clearly he said he that loves you, reads everything of yours, you're the best. So, you know, we'll, let's end on that. Let's end on pro that. Connor. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one. One last negative story. It was just like on the first tee, Tim. There's a it's six twelve, oh, Connor. Rel- not relatively open, but there's a bunker. I know. I, I really gotta go. Um, I hit a fade, so like I ended up in the like a guy said he goes, "How far are you, you like your driver?" I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I do." He goes, "He goes." I hear that a lot. I was like, "Jeez, like, so this is my before I step on the tee box for the first time." So I grabbed my driver and I I didn't even slice. I just hit like a, a fifteen yard fade, but this is like a tough course. So I went into the rough. He goes, "I think we should hit your three wood from now on." I'm like, that's my wow. first swing. It's like I walked onto the first tee. That's my first swing, dude. Like, oh my god. I'm telling you, it was that? It was that from? It was just, oh, it really is. Like, I, I when I when I told when I told uh, Bree about it, I was like, the shit I'm about to tell you, you're gonna think I'm lying. Like, you're not going to believe what I'm telling you. But I swear to God, all of these words are true. Yeah, just yeah, unreal. That's worse than scarred um, me. I'm, Marissa I'm never having at the a JJ invitation. <laughs> Heckling, heckling yeah, us on the seriously, first tee. Marissa on the first tee. Why are your feet together? <laughs> oh, that wasn't good. It was like that, I would have done it for free, for. Connor. It was like yeah, I went to I Dick's last resort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. Right. Yeah. 
All right, that's gonna do. That's a great way to end it. That was a good story. I feel like we should have yeah. led the podcast with that story, but but oh, anyway. we would have been dude, we would have been euthanized. They, uh, they would have been sending like oh no, it would not have been good if we if we started with that. So joint practices with the Eagles Wednesday and Thursday, then the game on Friday, and then it's on to Week One of the NFL season. We'll be back with you, I think, next week, early next week. Uh, to recap the Eagles weekend to get you ready for the opener. Um, if you want to save 33% on a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash can't wait for that. Have a great week, everyone.